Well, brothers and sisters, as we continue our Advent series, Hope for the Holidays, this morning I want to invite you to turn in Matthew's Gospel to chapter 1 as we read verses 18 through 21. This is the announcement to Joseph of the coming Savior, of the child to be born to his betrothed. I invite you to read in your copy of God's Word or just follow along on the screen. Matthew, the tax collector turned apostle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes thus. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word, that it is given to us, that we can hear your voice in it. Grant that we would be faithful not just faithful to obey in the doings of our daily chores, but faithful to believe, faithful to speak back to ourselves, faithful to trust, indeed faithful to have hope. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, here we are at Christmas time. Uh, this is the third Sunday of Advent. We are less than two weeks away for Christmas. And for some of you, uh, your holiday season is, is spun up with activity. Your schedule is so full, it couldn't be any fuller. For some of you, uh, you can already kind of feel the letdown uh, of, of, of just how Christmas, the, the hype isn't what it's meant to be or something. And, and, and you feel kind of like, like perhaps this is much to do about nothing. And that's kind of a picture into what a lot of Christians seem to experience. Uh, in fact, if I ask a lot of pastors, if I ask my pastor acquaintances and friends, what, what's, the, what's the number one struggle that Christians express? It's not political stuff. It's not how do I live in this world. It's, it's, not, it's not how do I engage with the... It's none of that. It's much, much closer to home. It's am I saved? Christians struggle with am I, am, am I really, really a part of God's family? Really? After all, 
Uh, if, if you were raised in a Christian household and, and you, you, you t- were taught the truths of the gospel from infancy, you, you may not even have a dramatic s- conversion story. And so for you, the Christian life may seem kind of ho-hum and, and matter-of-fact, and it's just a, a, a historical thing that is to be affirmed, and, and you wonder, am, am I saved? For those of you who came to faith later, you may have a more dramatic conversion story, and you may be able to point to a day on the calendar and say, this is the day in which I place my faith in Jesus. That may be you. But whether you were converted dramatically or converted growing up in your household, eventually you get to the point in your Christian walk where it becomes a little more challenging, if we're going to be honest, to see what God is doing in your life. You start seeing the imperfections. You start seeing the routine mundaneness. You start seeing the same struggles and the cycles over and over. And you wonder, is God really at work in me? Am I really going to be with him forever? How do I know? Well, when we seek to address the question of, am I saved? We turn to two aspects. There's the objective and the subjective. The objective refers to the things that happened in history that give us certainty that something is true. The subjective refers to the fact that the Bible does say you must have faith. And so it's the question of, did Jesus accomplish it and have I received it? Now, as Christians, as Orthodox Reformed Christians, we are super, super quick to say, oh, I affirm the objective aspect of my of salvation. I, I affirm all the historical, uh, all the biblical propositions that must be affirmed. My problem is with the subjective. Is my belief sincere enough? I, I don't feel excited for Jesus. I don't feel on fire. I, uh, am I, is my belief sincere? Is my belief intense enough? And, but here's the problem with even us good Orthodox Reformed Christians who say we affirm the objective, is we put so much emphasis on the subjective that we functionally nullify the objective. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Brothers and sisters, the first message of hope that I want to give you today is you are not saved by the intensity or strength of your faith. You are saved by the strength of the object of your faith. In fact, I believe that the best any of us can say is, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. In the best of us, there are doubts. In the best of us, there are questions. We, we, we may be afraid or ashamed to even let the questions and doubts pop up into our mind. We may, we may push them back when they pop up because we shouldn't have these. 
But brothers and sisters, if the apostle can say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, then who are you to call out, to not call out to God for your own unbelief to be helped? But that just proves the point. You are not saved by the strength of your faith. You are saved by the strength of the object of your faith. Now, when it comes to Jesus' life, we rightly put the emphasis where the Bible puts the emphasis, which is on the end of his life, okay? We've talked about how, like, in the Gospel of John, like, 40% of the book is just the last week of his life, okay? So what Jesus came to do finds its culmination, of course, at the cross. And going to the cross in John 19.30, Jesus famously utters one of his last words when he says, to tell us die, it is finished. It is finished. To what is that in reference? Is it just, well, this is the end of the line for me. Time to die. Is that what he means? No, to tell us die is a contractual term. It means that the deal is done. That something has been promised. Now it's been paid. The deal is complete. That's what it means. And so when he says as his dying breath in his dying breaths, it is finished. He's saying that whatever it was he came to do, it's been done. And there's nothing left that needed to be done or else it would not have been finished. Now, books have been written. So many books have been written on the topic of what did Jesus come to do? And it's true that the Bible spells out lots of nuances. There's, I mean, there's, there are, you could chase that trail a long way because what Jesus came to do has significance and impact for the cosmos. Okay? So Jesus accomplished a lot. But views go awry when they depart from the main base. Views are basically correct when they bear in mind the main thing. What was it Jesus came to do? That he was, at the end of his life, able to say, it is finished. Brothers and sisters, what he came to do is bound up very much in his name. You see his life mission, you see, you see the, the home base of what his mission was in the announcement of the angel to Joseph today. When it says in verse 21, you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His name, remember from last week, his name is Yeshua, which is Joshua. We just say it in 
the Greekification of it so that way we can distinguish in our minds between the Old Testament guy and the New Testament guy, but it was the same name. And how Joshua is the old covenant's Jesus who fought the battles and secured the victories and procured the promises. And Jesus is the truer, fuller Joshua because now we're not just talking about the ancillary forces of darkness that are going to be confronted, but our sins themselves. Jesus came fundamentally to save his people from their sins. That is what is on the core of the table. So that when Jesus dies, right before he passes, he's able to say, it is finished. The salvation has been procured. So his mission being bound up in his name has three parts. First, what did he come to do? To save. We're looking at just the last clause of verse 21. What did he come to do? To save. That's the verb. Sozo. It means to rescue, to deliver. It always implies that there is an existential threat to the well-being of someone or something, and that threat then must be somehow dealt with or mitigated against. It presupposes that the one in harm's way is not able to resolve the issue themselves. They are helpless unless some outside force or person intervenes. And so right here you see the first point of the gospel, don't you? That we were in a position of helplessness. We needed delivered. We needed rescued. Because we could not get ourselves out of the bind we were in. He came to save so remember that what that means fundamentally is that when you're talking about salvation and its various aspects and parts, whatever and wherever there's the threat, Jesus, if he's successful in his mission, saves you from that threat in whatever aspect it is we're talking about. Jesus came to save who did he come to save? Well, according to this, he came to save his people. And this phrase is a reference to election. That there are people that the Father has given to him. He says, all that the Father have given to me, given to me. He says it in John 10. He says it all over the place, given to me. Some people want to mistakenly think that the angel is speaking about Israel, and it's not. Not in the ethnic sense. Israel in the collective sense, yes. It's interesting, in Acts chapter 18, fast forward from this announcement many, many decades. The apostle Paul is in Corinth, and right out of the gate, it's just, it's just a headache. Right out of the gate. It's a pain in the neck. And Paul's about ready to say, all right, deuces, I'm out of here. I'm going to go someplace else. The Lord appears to him. 
and says, don't leave. For I have many people in this city. People who were not yet calling on the name of Jesus. And so Paul then stays there about 18 months. And the Lord blesses his ministry. And, and that's keeping, of course, with what Jesus says in John 10, 16, when he's speaking about his sheep and how the sheep hear his voice. And he says that I have, I have sheep who are not of this fold. And I have come for them too, that they may be brought in, that there may be one flock and one shepherd of that one flock. So in Matthew chapter 1 then, when the angel says he will save his people, the people are all whom the Father had given to him. His people are all who hear the voice of Jesus and respond. That's, that's what Jesus says in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and they respond to me. Brothers and sisters, the second ground of hope, have you responded to the voice of Jesus? Have you responded to the great shepherd? Or have you turned your back in callous indifference? If you've responded, no matter the enthusiasm that once may have been and now you've settled in for the long haul and you've kind of got yourselves on cruise control, yeah, sure, maybe you, you, should, you, you, you should tweak things, but fundamentally, have you responded to the call of your Savior? Yes? Then take heart. For he counts you as one of his people. And so he came to save his people. That's his mission. From what did he come to save his people? From their sins. And when you speak of saving someone from their sins, that's a lot bigger ball of gum than you might think. There's a lot of chewing to be done there. Because when you're talking about saving from sins, you can divide it up into three sections. You're saving them from the penalty. You're saving them from the power. And you're saving them from, ultimately, the presence. And when it comes to saving Christians from the penalty which is what we typically think of right off the bat, that I'm not going to go to hell anymore. Woohoo! Okay? That glorious hope of release, that, you, that news of release from sentence is precious. And that's the judicial aspect of being freed from the penalty. That the sentence of death that hung over your head has gone away. Because Jesus took that upon himself. But there's more than just the penalty of the judicial aspect that needed to be paid for. Because sin, rebellion, 
animosity, violence between two or more parties is causes or reflects estrangement. And so there's the penalty of sin that is separation relationally from God. And that penalty also is paid by Jesus. We're now in Christ. You are reconciled. And you are brought close. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. No longer an enemy. No longer an adversary. And so that great attainment of Christ's for you is yours as part of him's having saved you from your sin. You are no longer under the dominion of the evil one because God has bought you back and you are now in relationship with him. You are saved not only from the penalty, but you are saved from the power And this is what we talk about when we speak of sanctification. There's the ongoing Christian life, battle daily, mortify the flesh, put to death the deeds of the flesh, battles with sin. But the great promise is that Jesus Christ has paid for and has secured the fact that you will be victorious over sin. And you will be presented to him having become cleansed you are progressively incrementally being conformed and made into Jesus's likeness and so this is where you have to look back years brothers and sisters if if you're young in the faith it, it can be really hard to see sanctification it's sometimes you have to look back years decades to see that I'm not the person I was And that gives me hope that even though I'm not the person I should be, that I am in fact a work in progress and he is not done with me. So brothers and sisters, the sin that you struggle with, that you hate, and you just are so frustrated that you tempted again, that you stripped up, that you, that you fell right into that trap again. And, Take heart. Because when Jesus came to save his people from their sins, it includes the power, that pull, that daily, incrementally, little by little, the power and compelling pull of sin is killed but then the great glorious truth is that you ultimately will be saved from even the mere presence of sin no longer will sin haunt you taunt you mock you tempt you the day is coming when it will be a thing of the past and will be separated far from you That's what it means when it says that Jesus came to save us from our sins. And so all the gifts and benefits of the Holy Spirit that attend, that enable us to 
fight against sin, to push, to pull. All of the promised power of the Spirit that's poured out in us to comfort us, to, to encourage us that we are sons and daughters of God. All the power of the Spirit that conforms us to Jesus' likeness that ultimately will lead to our glorification where we will shine like the sun. All of that was Jesus' mission. So on that silent night so long ago, when the silence was pierced by the heavenly host, the heavenly army, showing up, announcing the birth of the promised one. This is the mission. To save his people from their sins. And so the question ultimately is, was Jesus, did Jesus really accomplish it? Brothers, that's the point. Sisters, that's the point of the resurrection. The point of the resurrection is that's the proof that God accepted the work of Christ on your behalf. And so 28 times the New Testament references the resurrection of Jesus as the evidence of God having accepted Jesus' work. 28 times. So what we announce here we celebrate Easter morn and every Sunday that Jesus has conquered death and hell because that is the ultimate proof that the mission he came to accomplish at Christmas was done. And so, brothers and sisters, in this life you're going to have ups and downs. In fact, maybe I'm a little jaded but given that everything in this created order is subjected to futility and everything sort of goes to the black hole of death apart from Christ, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if you put on a scale all the, all the good things and all the bad things, there's probably more bad. In this life, Jesus tells us you will have trouble. But take heart, because he has overcome the world. And so, reckoning that you are not saved by the strength or intensity of your faith, but rather by the object of your faith, Christ, the Holy One, the eternal Word of God who took on flesh, who conquered the devil, who made full satisfaction for all our sins, has washed his people. That is the ground of your hope. So this Christmas season... When you are tempted to despair that you are not in the household of God, that you see the lack of growth or the lack of progress or the mundaneness has got you wearied and worn, remember the mission of Christ. He came to save his people from their sins. And you are, if you have acknowledged him and responded to his voice, so walk in faith, stumbling and bumbling as you may. And the Holy Spirit will get you home. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for sending your son on a mission. And Jesus, thank you for being willing to come. Thank you for being willing to endure life 
as a human. And thank you for being not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We thank you that you have indeed accomplished our salvation from the beginning to the end. And we thank you for sending your spirit to apply all of that good stuff to us. Give us faith, give us patience, and give us hope as we walk in the moment. For your sake, O oh Lord, we ask it. Amen.